welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. Hello, welcome back everyone. Hope you're having a good week so far. That's Sarah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's me. That's Sarah. I forgot how to podcast. <laughs> no, you didn't. That's Sarah and I'm Katie and I also hope you're having a good week so far. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sarah and I... Um, we're going to be honest, we almost didn't record today. We've both been kind of having a struggle of a time, but we're here because we love you. And honestly, I'm kind of here because it's therapeutic for me. So hello. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. We have been on the struggle bus with mental health this week. And so it was, it was a close call where I was like, I just want to put on my sweatpants and I just want to watch Teen Mom and not think about anything. But I was going to say, I was like, is it, was it Real Housewives or Teen Mom? And I was like, oh yeah, she's moved on to Teen Mom lately. I moved on to Teen Mom. <laughs> um, but you know what? Like Katie said, this is actually really therapeutic and it gets me out of my funk and my head a bit. And so I am glad we are recording. Me too. And I also just want to start off with a shout out. I know Sarah posted on Instagram, but after we released the mini episode about our recent negative review, so many of you went over to Apple Podcasts and left us the nicest okay. reviews. And I I want to just say thank you to all of you, no matter when you left the, a review for us. Um, just thank you from the bottom of our hearts, because that made us feel so much better when we saw how many of you were coming to our rescue over there. <laughs> It really did. And honestly, I cry a lot easier these days with the hormones. But really, I had a few tears in my eyes because I just thought like, you guys are the nicest. Like you're the reason why we keep the podcast going is that we have so such like continuous support and love. And it, you guys not only do that for us, but within the community, like I've seen so many different friendships form because mm -hmm. of this podcast and the community that we have and I'm just it's amazing it's really great so thank you guys for taking the time to leave those reviews and you guys didn't just leave you know one-liners like you went into a lot of detail with a lot of thought and a lot of time and so we really really appreciate um all of your reviews and for those of you who've just left five stars that's amazing too thank you for taking the time just yeah that. like that's incredible and we really appreciate it yeah, we do. And speaking of being appreciative, we have a new patron to shout out, which is our newest patron, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hello. She joined us in Outer Darkness, which is the Ooh. highest level. <laughs> and um, we actually just recorded Sherry's welcome video over on Patreon. You'll have that in your inbox, Sherry. But thank you. And if you guys want to join us on Patreon, there's a link in the show notes, but it's also, if you want to just type it in, it's patreon.com slash not so Molly Mormon. There it is. Thank you, Sherry. Yeah. And we, we were chatting, Kitty and I were chatting and Sherry left us this lovely message that honestly, I want to put her words up on my walls, like a mantra or like words of affirmation, because I need that shit lately. So, yeah, same. Thank you, same. Sherry. And also, while we're on it, this is like gratitude hour. But you oh, know, my God, we're just so hashtag grateful. Love it. <laughs> um, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who has reached out on Instagram or my social media about the pregnancy and especially about like, 
shitty things that happen when you're pregnant and within the workforce, outside the workforce where people make sexist, dumb comments. Like I was overwhelmed with support when I made that post and I really appreciate it. But also particularly lovely Emily, who's also a patron. She has been helping me a lot with the pregnancy stuff and, uh, It's been really lovely and dusty. Um, So, and I'm just naming a few, but there's been so many people who have reached out and have been really comforting because being a plus size woman and being pregnant is, uh, it's shit. The stuff you have to deal with, especially in the medical area where people just love to be assholes and uh, make you feel like shit. So thank you guys. And I will do a follow up on that. Once the baby is delivered and happy, prepare. Yes. Yes. I cannot wait. We were talking, we were talking about it before we hit record and I was like, Sarah, you better let that rage out after that baby's (laughs) out and we can do a podcast episode about it, write an essay about it. Let's get it out there. Yeah. (laughs) And if any of you listeners have similar stories or you just know or whatever, please reach out. Cause I think the more you can talk about it and relate with other women or birthing people who have gone through this. It's so helpful because you feel like you're not alone and like, yeah, yeah, it's just been incredible. So thank you guys. That's Um, wonderful. I didn't know that. That's awesome. See, there's just so many facets to how amazing you guys are and we just can't stop gushing over you. (laughs) No, it's true. All the support and love. And I'm always just like, Oh, Oh, and another thing, sorry. (laughs) We'll get to the topic. Just skip ahead if you want. But I was talking to Katie as well, and I sent a picture. One of our listeners, Kelsey, met up with one of my friends, and they connected via basically having this mutual connection, me and the podcast, which is amazing. And they sent a photo of them being together. I was like, that's so cute. You're making friends meet all across the globe, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was really cute. So anyways, how, how wild is this? Like in, we started this in 2018, early 2018. Um, imagine if I had told you when we were just starting this and we were just little baby podcasters, if I was like, <laughs> oh, guess what? You're going to have all of this happen in 2022. And all these people that we've met that have given us such great support that you all feel like you're our friends. It's very cool. It's amazing. It's really incredible. Like, honestly, when we think about the fact that it's been four years, like, I, why am I getting emotional all the time? Baby makes me so hormonal and emotional. But really, it's just incredible. Like, we started off, you know, thinking maybe a handful of people would listen. And the fact that we have this incredible community and you guys are just so amazing. And it's it's helped me heal so much from the Yes the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know a lot of uh, Mormon trolls or haters in our podcast say that we're just bitter and angry, but that's not the case. Like we work through some really rough shit that gets us heated up, but on a day to day, my mental health and like how I perceive myself and the world is so much better because I left the church, but also because we talk about this every week and we're able to get through tough topics with you guys. You can we can let it out and talk through it and then have discussions with you guys about it once the episodes air. It's like we don't have to stuff our feelings down anymore. We can nope. let them out and talk about them. Hey, therapeutic. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's some tough topics like 
basically the one we're about to get in is it's a really, really tough topic we're about to talk about. So yes, trigger warning, pause right here. If you want to hear what's in what's coming up in the topic, I think is a good time to get yourself ready if you need to skip ahead, because this is the I would say one of the toughest things I've read. Yeah, but also thing to cover. Yeah, it's up there with one of the the more difficult topics, but uh, and I think I was hesitant because of how difficult it is, but um, it's important to share. But yeah, Sarah's right. This major content warning that's about child sex abuse. So if you don't want to hear that, if you're not in the space for that, then I think pause, go listen to something else, come back to this later. But if you're ready to hear it, I'm glad you're here and going to go through it with us. Yep. And exactly what Katie said, it's a really, it's a hard topic to cover, but I think, you know, we thought about it for a while and we're like, you know, it's important because this shit keeps happening in the Mm -hmm. Mormon church Mm -hmm. and it keeps getting shut down. And this is the first time that major, you know, lights have been shed on this, this topic that happens within the church quite often. And it's tough, but I think, you know, we're just talking about it. We haven't lived through it. So if we can just do that small part and bring some awareness, then that's the least we can do. Right. You know? Right. Agreed. So we're going to be talking about um, an Associated Press article that was released titled Seven Years of Sex Abuse, How Mormon Officials Let It Happen. This was um, published on August 4th of this year, 2022. And it was written by Michael Resendez. Uh, and I thought this was interesting. I don't know if you, I wanted to get tell you a little bit about his background because I didn't Ooh, realize I it. know. Oh, you know already? <laughs> yes. You know how I am. I'm the type that when I read something or watch something, I have to do like a wiki review of like who this person is and their background. <laughs> oh, I love person. that. I love that. <laughs> um, so yes, I'm so excited for you to tell the listeners though, for those of you who don't know, because I was just talking to Gregor about this the other day and I was like, oh my God, the guy who wrote this article is this guy, blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, Michael Resendez is an American journalist and a member of the global in- investigative team at the Associated Press, obviously. Um, he's the recipient of a Pulitzer Prize for his investigative work for the Boston Globe. For more than a decade, Resendez has been a member of the Globe's Spotlight team. He was a member of the group of reporters whose work in exposing the Roman Catholic Church's cover-up of clergy sex abuse earned the, the Pulitzer Prize in 2003. So for his reporting and writing on the Catholic Church, he also shared the George Polk Award for National Reporting, the Goldsmith Prize for Investigative Reporting, the Selden Ring Award for Investigative Reporting, and numerous other honors. And... So in the 2015 film Spotlight, he he was portrayed by actor Mark Ruffalo, mm-hmm. which, oh, my God, if you have not seen Spotlight, go watch it. It's so it's, good. It's amazing. It's a really good film. It's um, it's tough. It's tough to watch, obviously, with the, the topic at hand, but it's really well made. I thought it was it was good. And it, I felt, I mean, of course, maybe I'm not an expert. I'm not like a film review critic or anything, but I thought they did a good job of shedding the truth on the Catholic church without like being completely biased. Right? Oh my, oh my God. I thought it was perfect. I thought it, yeah. it's just excellent. It's inve- inve- 
I can't speak, <laughs> excellent <laughs> investigative reporting and shedding light on things that need to be exposed. Uh, I, yep. So yeah, it's a, it's a great story. I'll, you know, portrayed in that film really well. And I, I listed his credentials there because I feel like many times when stories like these are published and they go viral, Mormons or the Mormon church will try to discredit whoever posted it as if they're just anti-Mormon or they don't have their facts right or they're not educated. And I wanted to point out that this guy knows his shit. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the church has already done that. I read the critique. I the know. Church. I know. Yeah. They've already basically said this guy is just lying and he's being biased and he doesn't have the whole story and blah, Isn't blah, Isn't that blah, what they, they love to say? It was taken out of context. I want to know what part of this is out of context. And of course, we'll get into it. But if any, this can't be taken out of context. And that's a horrible response. And also, at the end, I do have the Mormon church's like official um, <laughs> statement uh, uh, they, that they gave on their social medias and it's such bullshit but we'll get there it's such bullshit and in this article too which was eye-opening for me they only discuss from what i remember please correct me wrong cases that happen in arizona and west virginia and then they highlight the amount of cases that were documented within the mormon church and that number alone is shocking and to think that's just two states right well and that's even what things that were reported what Exactly. And yeah. this church is global, right? So who's who's to say that, you know, it's not just looking at the states itself. It's right. worldwide. And yeah. that to me was sickening to see that number and to think those are just reported numbers in two states. I know. It's horrifying. So what I did, listeners, is I I took parts of this article and I'm going to read them and Sarah and I will talk about them. Um, I felt like I didn't have time, obviously, and I don't want to read the whole article on the podcast. Um, but if you'd like, go read it, go read the whole thing in full. But we'll, we will be covering most of the points here. Yes. So, so uh, this took place in Bisbee, Arizona. Way to go, Arizona. <laughs> How far is that from Phoenix, by the way? Um, I think it's a few hours away. I know it's right on the Mexico border. So okay. probably about two hours away from where I am. Um. So in Bisbee, Arizona, um, this is covering a girl they're calling MJ. Those are her initials. They're not calling her by her real name for her request and her parents' request um, or her mother's request or no, her guardian's request, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> um, so MJ was a tiny girl, just five years old, when her father admitted to his bishop that he was sexually abusing her. Her father, it, her father a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and an admitted pornography addict was in counseling with his bishop when he revealed the abuse. Um, I, I wanted to pause there because I thought that was interesting that it, because it, it's often conflated that they'll say people who are child abusers also, they watch porn. It's like, mm, yeah. you know. If it's if there's children in it, it's not porn. I'm just gonna say that. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's a really good point to make. It's not porn if there's a child in it. That's no. just that's child just, abuse. Yeah, sexual abuse material. Yeah. So the bishop, his bishop, who was also the family physician, followed church policy and called what church officials have dubbed the helpline for guidance. 
So there again, as we've pointed out, the bishop is not trained. It's not a trained clergy person. He's a physician. And he, they're just in this meeting and he's asking him how he's doing. And then he says, I'm, I'm sexually assaulting my child. Oh my God. Can you imagine just not being trained and you hear that? And then you're just supposed to call a helpline. Like this is how, what they teach him to do, not to call the police. You call the church helpline. Yeah. And think about that. Like, again, like what Katie's saying, this is not a trained professional who knows how to deal with this situation. So you have someone who has no idea how to handle it. Plus, he's not allowed to talk about it outside of these meetings. So even if he does have a partner who normally you could talk about this with or whatever, you're not allowed to talk about it. You just have to call this helpline where you're essentially told to just bury it. Yup, as we'll see. I, that is disgusting. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. So the call to the helpline offered little help for MJ. Lawyers for the church who staffed the helpline around the clock told Bishop John Herod not to call the police or child welfare officials. Instead, he kept the abuse secret. Let that sink in, people. They were lawyers that he called. The church's lawyers. The church. the church cannot separate this because you know they're going to have to, you know, they're probably thinking of ways to be like, well, they're not actually affiliated with the church, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They're like, well, you know how they always do. Um, <laughs> yeah. These are actual church lawyers who are paid to give this advice to bishops. Yes, exactly. Paid so this is, with your tithing money, if you're With Mormon. tithing money. How... How disgusting is that? Oh, I'll use a word that our haters love. How gross. Ew, <laughs> gross. Um, so a direct quote from Bishop Herod in a recorded interview with law enforcement. He said that the lawyers told him, quote, you absolutely can do nothing. Wow. That's a direct quote. So Herod continued to cancel MJ's father named Paul Douglas Adams, piece of garbage, for another year. And he brought in his wife. I think you pronounce her name Lisa. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure how to pronounce her name. I think you're right, though. Lisa or Liza or... Yeah. Know. So he brought in his wife in hopes that she would do something to protect the children, but she didn't. Bishop Herod later told a second bishop, who also kept the matter secret, after consulting with church officials, who maintained that the bishops were excused from reporting the abuse to police under the state's so-called clergy penitent privilege, <clears throat> which we'll get into more later. Um, Adams continued raping MJ for as many as seven more years into her adolescence and also abused her infant sister who was born during that time. He frequently recorded the abuse on video and posted the video on the internet. What kind of an absolute sick, disgusting, vile trash person do you have to it, be it makes me sick and i know we're going to get into these details later so i don't yeah. want to spoil too much but not that that's spoiling it but the fact that like it, it's not just the older sister that he does this to from five to 12 years old that's seven years plus he probably did it before we yeah yeah before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but her little sister he started at from the age of six weeks yeah six weeks i'm it's- about to not about to, but I'm going to give birth in like less than two months. And the thought that that's what made me uh, 
seriously ill. Uh, I, when I read this article, I got so sick thinking, how could anyone do this in any capacity? But to a six-week-year-old baby. I don't I even. I don't even know. And I don't even know how you could know about this as a bishop. He's He's confessing his sins to you. I could not morally um, not report this. Even if I did call the helpline and they said don't report it, I think I would hope that my compass would point, even if I was indoctrinated into the cult still, I would hope that my compass would point to, no, you need to help that child, like whatever, despite what the church says. But I mean, it's testament to how entrenched you are and you just do whatever the church says, even as yep. a bishop. And it's scary. Yep. So... Um, so Adams, uh, was finally arrested by Homeland Security agents in 2017 with no help from the church after law enforcement officials discovered one of the videos and, um, he died by suicide in custody before he could stand trial. So the Associated Press has obtained nearly 12,000 pages of sealed records from an unrelated child sex abuse lawsuit against the Mormon church in West Virginia. This is what Sarah was talking about. The documents offer the most detailed and comprehensive look yet at the so-called helpline. Families of survivors who filed the lawsuit said they show it's part of a system that can be easily misused by church leaders to divert abuse accusations away from law enforcement and instead to church attorneys who may bury the problem, leaving victims in harm's way. Exactly. Like, why would you even have this line? I don't even understand. I mean, I guess... To protect the church, right? It's to protect. It's all about protecting the church. It has nothing to do with the actual victims. Which later on in the article, they do talk about um, basically how, like, the church's handbook says, like, you know, the first and most important thing is to protect the victims. Blah blah. Well, that's clearly all bullshit because with this helpline, your intention is not to protect the abuser or the victim. It's just to strictly protect your reputation as a church. You don't want to squash it. So it doesn't get out, and you don't care what happens with the victims at all. It's like, oh, he repented. It's fine. We don't want bad press. Mm. And wasn't there, like, some other line, too, that was saying, like, oh, it's it's because they want the repentance process, as in, like, the abuser to have the opportunity to repent yeah. and clear his—I'm his, his I'm going to just keep the pronoun his because most of the time it is his name— like, yeah. I just think, fuck that. I about think the victims. Yeah, they're, what it said was something. I think it's in there later. I don't know if I put it in in my notes, but something along the lines of how it's more important to let the the abuser repent so that he can get his eternal salvation versus if he if he has the threat of jail time, he won't repent and then he won't get eternal salvation. So, yeah, it's it's mad to me, you guys. I think after this article, if honestly, I will question humanity and I will question people. I question Mormons who stay in the church after everything we've discussed. But particularly this article, if you are a TBM or not, even if you're on the fence and you've read this article, I don't know how you can stay in this church. And in fact, I don't want to know how you can. And if I know you and you're, you're that person, it, it just makes me lose all kind of respect. And I, I'm sorry. I'm just, I don't, how can you pay tithing to this church after you read this? I don't, get I it. don't know. I'm totally with you. I don't agree. I, I, yeah, I mean, 
I agree with you, and I don't understand. Yeah, it's oh, yikes. So anyway. there is an attorney representing the bishops and the LDS Church. Uh, his name is William Maladon, I think. And he told the Associated Press last month that bishops were not required to report the abuse. He said, quote, these bishops did nothing wrong. They didn't violate the law, and therefore they can't be held liable, he said. He also referred to the lawsuit as a money grab. That line right there made me want to go find this person and punch them in the face. I Mm -hmm. cannot believe that you're going to, even that your lawyer, I get it. I get how the system works. I get that there is, you know, defense and there's, you know, prosecutors. Like I get how law works, but even as someone who's defending this abuser, you might be like being paid to, to defend them or whatnot, but you can still have your opinion and still be unbiased. But to say that it's a money pit or like a money, it's all about the money. And that's why these families are going after. How can you, how can you read this case? I mean, the guy, it's not even a question about whether or not he did it. Yeah. It's, exactly. They know he's admitted mm-hmm. to it. And so to say that they're trying to money grab, we're trying to money grab from the church when these people, these children were raped and it was covered up how is that a money grab you know i didn't i didn't look up this guy i should have i'm assuming he's lds as well oh interesting i didn't look him up either but um i wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't be surprised i would guess he is because he's defending the mormon church and the yeah i'm sure the church has paid him a pretty penny yeah talk about a money grab (laughs) yep um okay The Adams family lived on a lonely dirt road about eight miles from the center of Bisbee, Arizona. Far from prying eyes, the Adams home, a three-bedroom, open-concept affair surrounded by desert, was often littered with piles of clothing and containers of lubricant that Adams used to sexually abuse his children. Oh, I feel ill. I feel ill. It made me so sick, that line. I had to reread that line about three times to make sure I was like, Am I reading this correctly? Like, yeah. is this what this says? Let me remind you all. This man claims to be a upstanding LDS man raising a family in Arizona. Wow. So uh, Paul's wife assumed most of the child rearing responsibilities, and, and that included taking them to to and from church on Sundays. And Paul, who worked for the U.S. Border Patrol, of course he did, spent much of his time online looking at porn, often with his children watching or wandering the house naked or in nothing but his underwear. What oh. the fuck? Like, and I also have thoughts. I, I can't really say much because I'm sure he was an abusive, you know, he was obviously abusive, but I'm sure he was abusive to his wife as well. But at what point as the wife do you step in and go, this isn't okay? I, but I understand she was also probably abused, so I can't say much, but holy shit. I think there's a lot of layers of things happening in this dynamic. And obviously, like, Katie and I are not <laughs> skilled experts in this area. So I don't, you know, no one quote me, no one get annoyed. But this is just an observation that I've made. And one of the lines in there was saying that when they're talking about the wife, that she was just emotionally dead. And I think it's because... 
she was obviously abused as well. Yeah. Um, just had a credible amount of guilt and shame about letting, like, she probably thinks that I allow this to happen to my kids. Again, this is pure speculation. But also, if you look at the, the pictures and the dynamic, this is a white guy and she looks like a person of color. Mm-hmm. as well and I'm sure there's that dynamic that's happening in the relationship as well like there's just a lot of that's a lot going on yeah and it, in this article people did say that he was he was abusive and he had a horrible temper and an explosive yep. personality one person said like so you know that she probably feared for her life at point yeah or her kids you know he might have yeah. said something like if you report me, if you do anything, I will kill the kids. Like, and you know, in her mind, she, again, this is just, I'm totally speculating. We're Don't speculating. Know yeah. <laughs> Don't know how she feels, but I could imagine as someone, you know, a mother in that situation, it's like, well, what's better to let them be killed or to be raped? Like what, at least they're living, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's just, a horrible, horrible situation. It's but. frustrating. And the whole system has set it up to be that he was the one in power. And yep. yeah. Okay. Um, I know we've already given a trigger warning, but like, this is just particularly bad. So hold on. Um, so Paul would coax his daughter, the one we've talked about, to hold the smartphone camera and record him while he sexually abused her. He also seemed to revel in the abuse in online chat rooms where he once bragged that he had, quote, the perfect lifestyle because he could have sex with his daughters whenever he pleased, while his wife knew and didn't care. Oh, God. Uh, It's so fucked. It's so fucked. And it's like this guy, I don't know if he had just like the stereotypical white male ego, in that like he just thought he would never get caught, because he's not trying to hide it. Or if he wanted to get caught, I don't know. But this guy... I don't know either. It seems like he didn't think he'd get caught. It seemed like he thought he had it all sorted out and he had the power and of oh, the priesthood. He, yeah. And he, this was just going to keep going and it was fine because I mean, think about it. He told his Bishop and nothing happened for seven years. Like, of course he's going to feel like, Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm fine. Like I'm untouchable. Like, I already told someone, and my conscience is clean. I'll just go do it again tonight and then go tell my bishop next week, and I'll yep. be fine. And the <clears> fact <throat> that he's probably thinking, like, I confessed seven years ago. No one's arrested me yet. Like, I've told yeah. Yeah, people. I've told. Like, it's not like I'm hiding this. My uh, wife knows. The bishop knows. Like, uh, what a recipe. What a, what a situation for disaster. Ugh. Yep. Um, the Adams family was deeply involved in the Mormon community, and on Sundays, they attended services in Bisbee. So Adams turned to his church and to Bishop Herod when he sought help and revealed his abuse of MJ. Herod later told Homeland Security agent Robert Ed- Edwards that he knew from the start that his, that Lisa Adams was unlikely to stop her husband because the bishop, who was also her personal physician, said she seemed pretty emotionally dead when her husband recounted his abuse of their daughter. But also, I just want to point this out, too. It's so fucked that they put all the pressure and responsibility on the woman and the mother to somehow get them out of the situation when men have literally been told about this. 
Mm-hmm. It shouldn't mm-hmm. just be on her. Like she's also a victim in this situation. And yet these men are like, oh, you know, I try to put, you know, try to get her to, to help or to do something about it. And it's like, no. It's like, what is she going to do? If she's obviously, you can see her and she's emotionally dead and yeah. she's with this piece of shit who's doing this to her children. What is she going to do? And obviously she's seeing it. And and again, I have no idea how this woman feels or what. Yeah, she I don't know either. Do, but I could imagine just me personally being like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Like I've already told, or like my husband who is the abuser has already told these people, these men in power in the church and nothing has happened. So what am I going to do? What, what's the point of me saying something if they're not even going to listen I know these bishops guys in church and they didn't give her, I'm sure they didn't give her the option to say like, Oh, Hey, maybe go tell authorities. Cause obviously they didn't because that the helpline told them not to. Exactly. Yep. So again, um, Bishop Herod said that when he called the helpline, church officials told him that the state's clergy penitent privilege required him to keep the abuse confidential. But in fact, the law required no such thing. And here's why. Arizona's sex abuse reporting law and similar laws in more than 20 states that require clergy to report child sex abuse and neglect says that clergy, physicians, nurses, or anyone caring for a child or reasonably reasonably believes a child has been abused has a legal obligation to report the information to police or the state Department of Child Safety. So the church fucking lied. That's not in... That's not in the law. You are actually required, even if you are a clergy person, to report child abuse. That's, I mean, it's not even shocking to me at this point. Like, they have so many loopholes and ways that they, like, lie without blatantly lying. So when they do actually just blatantly lie, it's like, how, why am I even shocked? Yeah, right. At this point. We shouldn't be. It's just all lies, mostly. (laughs) Um, In 2012, when Bishop Herod rotated out of his position of the Bisbee Ward, he told the incoming bishop, uh, Bishop Mousy, about the abuse in the Adams household. Instead of rescuing MJ by reporting the abuse to authorities, Mousy also kept the information within the church. This is now passed to at least two men plus the hotline, which we know the lawyers on that line were men as well. Yes. And nothing has happened. I just mm-hmm. want to reiterate that. Like, mm-hmm. this is now this, gone to two mm-hmm. plus people. And this poor child is suffering every single day because they're not doing anything. Uh, Bishop Mousy said church officials told him he should convene a confidential disciplinary hearing for Adams, after which Adams was excommunicated in 2013. But Mousy and other church leaders still didn't report Adams to police. So let's go over this. So he obviously was like, hmm, okay, so for how many years? Five years? <laughs> uh, he was just doing this under the other bishop. The bishop tells him, he's like, oh, that feels weird, but I'm told I shouldn't report it. So he goes to the higher up. So now here's more men who know about it wow. that are higher up than him. And they're like, well, we can't go to the authorities, but you could excommunicate him. That's not going to help anything. He's still going to keep that to the child. It's not going to help. Literally nothing is done other than the church on their side can wipe their hands clean of this because this guy is no longer a Mormon. He's no longer on their record. So, hey, it's not on us. 
Yeah, we excommunicated him, even though we knew about it for years. Ugh. So two years later, in 2015, they gave birth to a second daughter. It took this is oh god, this is what Sarah said before, and it took her husband just six weeks to start sexually assaulting the baby, recording the abuse, and uploading the videos to the internet. Guys, that makes my stomach sick. I can't even. It's so awful. It's so awful. If this guy is a sick fuck, and also the fact that this happened because of the church not reporting this and not doing anything about it. Yeah, it could have stopped. It could have stopped upon his first confession. Yep. Yep. Um, the revelation that Mormon officials may have directed an effort to conceal years of abuse in the Adams household sparked a criminal investigation of the church by Cochise, I think I said that right, Cochise County Attorney Brian McIntyre, and then also the civil lawsuit by three of the Adams children. So McIntyre asked, he's the, uh, um, the county attorney, he said, who's really responsible for the bishops not disclosing? Was it Bishop Herod, who says he followed the church's lawyer's instruction not to report the abuse to authorities? Or is it the people who gave him that advice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I kind of think it's both. But I mean, ultimately, it's it's the church because. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's both. It's it's the bishop who heard this advice and did nothing. But essentially, the, the church is the one that has these guidelines in place that are brainwashing their members to do things a specific way. So mm-hmm. they're, they're the ultimate more responsible. responsible. Yeah. Yeah. So like Sarah said before, when it comes to child sexual abuse, the Mormon church says in its handbook, quote, the first responsibility of the church in abuse cases is to help those who have been abused and protect those who may be vulnerable to future abuse. Abuse cannot be tolerated in any forms, in any form. But <laughs> but church officials from the from the bishops in the ward to the officials in Salt Lake City actually tolerated abuse in the Adams family for years. So that is bullshit. Like Sarah said before, it's just trying to save face when they when they put that in the handbook and they put that out on their website. Like if you really believe that, then you'd be protecting the kids, not protecting the church. Yeah, exactly. So it's just another. Great PR and marketing uh, piece on their side to be like, hey, look, this is how we control the narrative. This is how we control our image or our brand is by saying, like, we're all for the victims and making sure they're protected. But in reality, that's not what they do. That's the exact opposite of what they do. The actions don't match the words. (laughs) Nope. Um, Here's a direct quote from MJ, too, in her Associated Press interview. They just let it keep happening. They just said, hey, let's excommunicate her father. It didn't stop. Let's have them do therapy. It didn't stop. Hey, let's forgive and forget, and this will all go away. It didn't go away. That's heartbreaking. I I got chills. I got chills. Oh, that poor girl. This is a 12-year-old who's putting this out there. Like, I... I think about me as a 12 year old and I can't even, first of all, like I, it it blows me away and I feel like I'm going to get emotional again, but I just think like as a 12 year old, you're not mature enough in so many aspects. And when you read that line, it's like, she had to grow up real fast Yeah. because of those, 
years and years and years of sexual abuse and the fact that she can recognize that you just excommunicating my father doesn't mean that it stops like no. for her to say that or forgive and forget and it goes away no it doesn't it, it doesn't, doesn't go away and it 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 just keeps happening over and over and over because she's not safe he hasn't had any real consequence and she's the child in the situation. She's the person who should be protected. Sorry, there's a huge plane flying outside. <laughs> so it's quite loud. Um, but yeah, she's a child in the situation who needs to be protected. And these men did nothing to protect They did nothing. I, I can't. Mm, it, it infuriates me. So a similar dynamic played out in West Virginia, where church leaders were accused of covering up the crimes committed by a young abuser from a prominent Mormon family even after he'd been convicted on child sex abuse charges in Utah. The abuser, Michael Jensen, today is serving a 35 to 75 year prison sentence for abusing two children in West Virginia. Their family, along with others, sued the church and settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. So there's some Which I find really interesting because we never hear about this in Mormon news or like as a Mormon, you know, that this even happened or the fact that they settled the fact that they settled speaks volumes it speaks a lot it's like okay just stop talking about it and we'll pay yep. you we'll yeah. just pay you to make it go away like we'll put in this you know disclosure where you can't ever talk about it again or we'll make sure that you can't put the church in a, a bad light here you go yeah Resolve. i remember when that happened and it was heartbreaking and they trusted that young man i don't i can't remember if he was 18 or 19 but yeah they trusted him to take care of their kids because he was a member of the church and his family were they were all church members and turns out he had already served time for being an abuser oh. yeah, so so much for protecting kids um so the the three adams children they filed a lawsuit against the church and it accuses the church and several members, including the bishops of negligence and conspiring to cover up child sex abuse to avoid costly lawsuits and protect the reputation of the church, which relies on proselytizing and tithing to attract new members and raise money. So true. Boom. That I love that line. Cause I think it's, it's so on target. Like it's, it's exactly what the church does, but the church can't argue with it or say that this is biased in any way, because that's literally what they do. They rely on missionary work and tithing. Yeah, and they so, rely on looking good, their PR. Yeah, yeah and if yeah. this is what's being said about them, people aren't going to join and give their money. So, nope. yeah. Um, very few of the scores of lawsuits against the church mention the helpline, in part because details of its operation have been a closely guarded secret. The documents in the sealed court records show how it works. Um, there's a Idaho attorney named Craig Vernon who has filed several sex abuse lawsuits against the Mormon church. And I love this quote from him. He said, quote, the helpline is certainly there to help. It's to help the church keep its secrets and cover up abuse. Whoa. Right? Yep. That's really... That's spot on. That's exactly right. And I love the fact that like he's an Idaho attorney who's clearly not Mormon. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the protocol. 
Oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just gonna say I think he's even like a former member, which is even more amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, yes, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> so the protocol for the helpline advises those taking the calls to instruct a priesthood leader to encourage the perpetrator, the victim, or others who know of abuse to report it. But it also says in capital letters that those taking the calls, capital letters should never advise a priesthood leader to report abuse. Counsel of this nature should come only from legal counsel. That so, is wild. Like, yeah. literally in capital letters. It says right there that you can tell the victim, like, oh, you could report this if you want, but I, I can't. I can't report this. When wow. that's not true. That's not what the law of the land says. Right? Which is what they're to... supposed to follow is the law of the land, and they're not doing it. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, Maladon, who's that attorney for the church, he said that church clergy or church attorneys have made hundreds of reports of child abuse to civil authorities in Arizona uh, over an unspecified number of years. But he could not say how many calls to the helpline were not referred to the police or child welfare, welfare officials and could not provide a referral rate. So this is like what Sarah was saying earlier. He's like, well, we have reported hundreds. Oh, oh, okay. Wow. Hundreds <laughs> you know, out of how many? Like, give us a number. And it also just, I want to be like, can I see the receipts for this? I mean, I know there aren't really receipts, but I just don't really believe him because it's just, oh, we've made hundreds. But it's also like, exactly, he's not even showing, obviously, this is just like a way of, again, controlling the narrative and being like, we have made 100 reports, but then it's like, but can you tell us exactly a specific number over the years? Can you tell us how many, like what the referral rate is, blah, 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 and they can't do that. And it's like, great. But it's also this attitude of like, well, we did report 100 of these, like hundreds of reports, but then they're failing to mention or even acknowledge the fact that obviously they didn't do it for this one and this is the case we're talking about right now yeah yeah this right it's like three well, we've done it before yeah it's like okay it doesn't really matter <laughs> when you mm-hmm. just blatantly ignored this one so two church practices identified in the sealed records work together to ensure that the contents of all helpline calls remain confidential first all calls, all records of calls to the helpline are routinely destroyed at the end that's of every day. Wild. That's like Scientology level, if not worse. Yeah, they're just destroy all those. What? Why would you do that? I. Because mm. they don't want to leave behind a paper trail. Yep. Yep. Second, church officials say that all calls referred to Curtin McConkie lawyers are covered by attorney-client privilege and remain out of the reach of prosecutors or victims' attorneys. Quote, the church has always regarded these communications between its lawyers and local leaders as attorney-client privilege. And this was said by Paul Ridding, who is the director of risk management for the Mormon Uh, church. If that is a risk management department, y'all. Exactly. The fact that they have a risk management department and he is a spokesperson on this topic that alone just speaks volumes. Like it's all about the church yeah. reputation and how they can do damage control and how they can make sure they still get new members because new members mean more money. So yes. let's like 
let's manage this. This is a risk management, which is ridiculous that they have that department for a church. We're not talking about a corporate, you know, like vibe or environment or like a company. We're talking about a church that has risk management. Yep. And the fact like this just shows admitting why they have lawyers answering those helpline calls is because of the attorney client privilege. So then they can further keep things secret and not have to report it. Yep. Right. Okay. One affidavit in the sealed record, which repeatedly says the church condemns child sexual abuse, also suggests the church is more concerned about the spiritual well-being of perpetrators rather than the physical and emotional well-being of young victims who also may be members of the faith. This is what Sarah was referencing earlier. And here's the direct quote from that ridding guy, the guy from (laughs) the risk management department. He says, Disciplinary proceedings are subject to the highest confidentiality possible. If members had any concerns that their disciplinary files would be read by a secular judge or attorneys or be presented to a jury as evidence in a public trial, their willingness to confess and repent for their souls to be saved would be seriously compromised. Oh, fuck off. Like for this fake church to be like, oh, well, they might not repent and their souls might not be saved. So we're not going to give this information to the authorities. That, that, um, I just can't even believe that I know. Gave this quote. Like, he's I know. Like, do you hear quote. yourself? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's awful. Like, it's terrible. There's absolutely no empathy for the victims in that quote. It's all about the abuser and letting, but we need to make sure that they're taken care of and they have the chance to repent. Okay. Yeah. No. Fuck off. That's not at all what we should be focused on. No. And your repentance is bullshit anyway. Exactly. All right. In 2016, police in New Zealand arrested a 47-year-old farm worker on child pornography charges and found a nine-minute video on his cell phone downloaded from the internet showing a man in his 30s raping a 10-year-old girl. Oh, God. That's wild. You guys, when I read that part, I was like, so this is a global case. Like, literally... This was discovered in New Zealand and then reported in the U.S. That's crazy. And also, <sighs> the New Zealand prime minister is an ex-Mormon. So oh, know. yeah. And she's great. <laughs> but, yeah, how disgusting. I feel so disgusted that this awful guy did this, uploaded it to the Internet, and it's – I. who watches this shit? I'm so upset by it. It's disgusting. It's disgusting the fact that it's, you know, halfway across the world and some other – gross horrible human being is watching and viewing this it's mm-hmm. so disturbing because it's on the internet yeah. they even talk about it these videos still are there like, yeah they still exist mm-hmm. so this 12 year old and the six you know at that time six week year old uh six week baby they're gonna have that for the rest of their lives because you can never completely get rid of these videos oh how traumatizing oh So a global search for the rapist and his victim was on. It started with Interpol and led to the U.S. State Department, where investigators using facial recognition technology matched the rapist with a passport card photo of the U.S. Border Patrol employee living in Bisbee, Arizona. They rushed to the border station and they arrested Adams. After some coaxing, Adams admitted to raping MJ and to sexually assaulting her younger sister and to posting videos of the assaults on the internet. 
I guess one good thing about how he was just constantly confessing to the bishop is that he gave it up easily when yeah. the police got him because he probably was like, oh, well, you know, it, it probably won't be that bad. They'll slap me on the wrist. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, when the agents raided his home, they seized phones and computers holding more than 4,000 photos and nearly 1,000 videos depicting child sex abuse. Wow. I can't even comprehend that many. That's so many. <sighs> it's just really disgusting. It's really... <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the specific nine-minute video was one featuring MJ that MJ was in, and it says that that video represented nine minutes and 14 seconds in seven years of continual and unnecessary trauma for MJ and a lifetime of abuse for her tiny sister, while bishops Herod and Mousey and church representatives in Salt Lake City stood by and did nothing. Wow. After Paul Adams died by suicide, Lisa Adams pleaded no contest to child sex abuse charges and served two and a half years in a state prison. Three of the Adams children went to live with the members of Lisa's extended family in California, and the other three were taken in by local families. So their family was broken up, which is oh, sad. So sad. Yeah. Um, and then it talks about how the children are, are very traumatized and they're scared. They're scared of men. They're scared of anything oh, touching their wrist. The little description of the two-year-old broke my heart where it was described as like she attached like her arms and legs to their face and neck. Like she just was not going to let go. And if any man came around like a physician or anything, she would just scream. And then the most horrifying is like bodies of water really triggered her. So you think yeah. what, what happens like I to know. make her that traumatized? Like she's two. It just... Mm -hmm. it, it's really, yeah. really horrible. So, uh, yeah, a couple named Miranda and Matthew Whitworth adopt. They took in the two-year-old, and they didn't know much about what happened to her, but they sat in on Lisa Adams' sentencing, and they learned about the videos and the assaults and the fact that the church bishops knew and didn't do anything to stop it. Um, and the Whitworths were converts to Mormonism. And like many new followers of a religion, they were especially enthusiastic about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In particular, they appreciated the efforts Mormons made to help fellow church members in times of need through church organizations established to give special, special attention to women, teens, and children. But after learning about what Adams did to their new daughter and the failure of the church to stop him, the scales fell from their eyes. Quote, we decided to remove our records from the church. I personally couldn't continue to provide tithing money to a church that would allow young children to be abused and not do anything to prevent it. I applaud them. I applaud yeah. Them. Yeah, me too. Um, so MJ is safely settled in a new household um, and she's been transformed from a victim of unimaginable, unimaginable abuse to a bubbly 16 year old who plays in the high school band and proudly dons a crisp, crisp new uniform for her job at a fast food restaurant. She, her foster mother said she had every excuse to fail and just fold into herself and run away, but instead she came back stronger than anyone I've ever known. 
and so strong, in fact, that she is eager to have an active role in this battle against the church. And she says, quote, I just want the church to do what they're supposed to do and report to the police. That's such a powerful line. When I read that, I just thought this girl has gone through everything. And the fact that she's able to still be like, I want this to have awareness. I want change to be made. I want the church to take responsibility. It's, it's, it's incredible strength. Yeah. I just can't imagine as a 16 year old being that strong and brave. And it's, it's incredible. I know. And it's just, it's such a simple ask, you know, could you just report when something bad happens? That's not, that shouldn't be so much to ask. And Miranda and Matthew Whitworth, who adopted the baby girl, they joined the lawsuit as well. And they said, we just don't understand why the church is paying all these lawyers to fight this, like just change the policy. Why? Oh, and you know what? That just brought to mind. How are these lawyers getting paid? Tithing money. Tithing money. So if you're a member of the church, you're paying lawyers to defend against this, to, to say that you should not have to report child sex abuse. Yep. Yeah. And it's going to be thousands and thousands of dollars. And that's all from the tithing funny. So, yes. Um, so, but yeah, so the policy that they're not willing to change is the key to the church's defense. Bishop Herod in his recorded interview said church officials told him he had to keep what Adams told him confidential, or he could be sued if he went to authorities. But the Cochise County County attorney said that's false, noting that Arizona reporting law says that anyone reporting a belief that child sex abuse occurred is immune from any civil or criminal liability. So you can't be sued if you report it. But he was told that and he was scared into being like, oh, I can't report or I'll get sued. Ugh. Yeah, the church calling yet another lie. Yes. So I'll end with a quote from Gerard Moretz. He's a child sex abuse investigator from Pima County. And he said, quote, what aspect of your religious practice are you advancing if you don't report something like this? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a strong line to end on as well. It's like, what does the church benefit from mm -hmm. this? That's something to really keep in mind. And then. So this came out and it went viral. And of course, the church is going to say, make some sort of flowery statement. And they did so on Instagram and Twitter. I don't know if they did it on Facebook, but they they wrote this statement. And the first couple of times that they posted it, they left the comments on. And they were getting flooded with negative comments. And so they were like deleting it and reposting it and deleting it and reposting it. And now if when you go and you look at it, their comments are turned off. Obviously. Yep. And this is what they said. And I had people sharing this on my on that were my Instagram friends. That I ha- only have a few that are still Mormon, but it made me so angry. It <sighs> says, oh, I haven't. I don't think I've seen this. I think I've yeah. unfollowed all. All Mormons, so I wouldn't have seen this post, but I'm nervous. Okay, this go ahead. This is what they say after the article comes out and they're getting criticized. They say, The abuse of a child or any other individual is inexcusable. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes this, teaches this, and dedicates tremendous resources and efforts 
to prevent, report, and address abuse. Our hearts break for these children and all victims of abuse. Wow. That's wow. Just a okay. Like lie. It's all a lie, and it's so, it's so dismissive. Again, it's like just take fucking accountability. Say, yeah, we we fucked up. We messed up. We need to change our policies and our guidelines. This is right. Our sincerest apologies to MJ and her family. We want to make this right. Blah blah. No, they can't do that. They can never admit when they're wrong and take accountability. And it just no. And, and they're you just, have these fucking brainwashed members who defend this shit and are like, yeah, that's that's fair. And like, what a great response. You handled right. that well. And in a way, or not in a way, it, it is. It's discrediting what MJ went through, saying like, oh, yeah. no, we prevent abuse. We we direct great resources into preventing this. This was just a one off and that there was nothing we could have done. Like, no, this your church is the reason that she kept being abused it could have stopped way way sooner yeah exactly and this is again we're just seeing this in 2022 come to light how long has the church been around you know what i mean like this has been happening so i don't even want to think about and math is not my strong suit let's be honest but that number is gonna be real high of how many times this happened within a church scenario like I'm not talking about all around the world without church. I'm talking about just within the Mormon church, confessing to a bishop or to someone in authority in the Mormon church. And this has been hidden or told not to be reported over the last, you know, 300 years. Like, And then they fight it when people ask for reform. I mean, they excommunicated Sam Young when he all he wanted was for bishops to stop asking sexually explicit questions to children in interviews and he was advocating for that and they excommunicated him like they fight against things like as a mormon i would look at this and be so troubled i would be so concerned as to why they're not apologizing and just changing the policy instead they're fighting it wow it's just it's disgusting just it's another example of the church not wanting to make these changes and you I mean and that's the thing is if they were a true religion based on you know quote unquote christ's examples or teachings then this is something that they would say right we we own up to this this is something we need to change we need to make it better blah blah, blah. then i would actually maybe possibly a small part of me respect them if they did that you know what i mean like if all these yeah. times that people called them out on these issues and if they said you're right we messed up let's make some changes blah, 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 then it's like, okay, at least you're taking accountability, but they will never do that. They will never, ever do that. Even Dallin Dallin H. Oaks has said the church does not issue apologies. That's like one of his more famous quotes. Yeah. They they refuse to apologize. Such a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Such a dick. Anyway, that is the awful case. And I think that the article was really well done and I'm glad that it's exposing the church for what it is. And I'm, I'm just, I, my heart breaks for the children who have gone through that and not gotten the help they needed. Yeah. Yep. That was, um, that's a tough one to cover. And I think Katie did a great job of like breaking it into segments that were a bit easier to digest and talk about because when you read, it's a long piece, definitely worth, worth the whole read. If you guys have time, I would 
definitely recommend suggesting it. Obviously, don't if that's something that is triggering for you, but it's something that needed to be talked about and even more awareness brought to it, even though it's it's gone viral, it's out there. It's, you know, an article that's in a really credited uh, place to be published and with a, a background or a journalist with the, that extensive background. Like, it's still, the church has a lot of money. They can make this stuff disappear and go quiet, and we don't want that to happen. This no. is just, yeah. Another example of why things need to change within the Mormon church slash they need to be brought down, but also it's not about the church. It's not about the abuser. It's about the victims in this situation and every situation that has gone Mm -hmm. unreported. It's their time to talk about these things and to have this awareness and to hopefully, hopefully bring about some type of justice and peace for these, these victims. Oh, 100%. Well said, Sarah. (laughs) all right well everyone listening we love you so much and we hope that you have a lovely week and we'll be back in a week with some more for you we will have a good one Bye -bye. Bye bye bye